0: Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Breaking Down the Doors. I'm your host, Mike Organ, and alongside, as usual, is Vanderbilt beat writer Adam Sparks. Today, we're looking back at the life of former Vanderbilt football coach Woody Woodenhofer, who died Sunday from a stroke at age 77. Woody spent five seasons as a coach for the Commodores, but he made his name for himself before that in the NFL, where he won four Super Bowls as a defensive coordinator for the famed Steel Curtain Defense of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Then later we'll take a look at what's in store for the Commodores and if spring practice ever resumes.
1: All right, Mike, how we doing? Are
0: we corona crazy yet? That passed that stage a long time ago, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe um, two days in. <laughs> yeah, I know we're going to get to
1: Woody in a little bit, but I, I I think it's funny. For those listeners that don't know, Mike and I are the two guys on the Tennessean sports staff who watch the least sports, I would think, outside of working sports. Yeah. Uh, we both – a lot of guys can't get enough of it. We often step away from it and enjoy other things. Are you –
0: are you, are you wanting sports back, though, <laughs> a little bit more, even aside from the job? It, not aside from the job too much. Uh, yeah, you know, I, like when I'm in the car at night going to the gym or running to the grocery store, I listen to the Predators, If you know, if I'm not working that night. Or I listen to Vanderbilt baseball on the radio when I'm in the car. And I do miss that. I'm, of course, I'm not in the car anymore either, so there's that. But if I – you know, I do miss uh, – just kind of keeping uh, up with what's going on on the, the landscape outside of my beat. And that's how I do it is by just kind of tuning in whenever they're playing. And I noticed that the other night that I was thinking, you know, if this was a normal night, I'd probably be listening to the, to the Predators.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it, it kind of seems like everything's on pause, but it's not really on pause. Things are... are or getting away from us, they're drifting away. The, yeah,
0: we're getting to the point now where I don't think that it's the point of no return, basically.
1: Yeah, and we'll talk about that a little later on the podcast, like Mike mentioned, about what's going to happen with college football. Let's talk Woody Woodenhofer first. So you 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 mentioned before he, he passed away the other night, uh, the other day, a few days ago, earlier in the week. You know, something that jumped out at me is I had written a few things in the past. You, you covered Woody. I've covered Derek Mason. There are some parallels between those guys. Now, they aren't exactly the same. Both of them are defensive-minded. Both of them had competitive SEC teams, mostly because of defense. Now, Woody Woodenhofer had the steel curtain. Derek Mason was just at Stanford and younger guy and that sort of thing. But I, 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 when I think about Vanderbilt football, I think, well, you can win at Vandy if you have a good defense that's how you can be competitive. When we're saying, and I'm, I'm saying in quotes, wins, six wins, seven wins, whatever. Relatively speaking. Yeah. And, and because what I'm thinking of, I'm 40 years old. I'm thinking in my lifetime, in the 90s, when I was a teenager, they were competitive in a handful of games because of defense, and that was Woody Woodenhofer's defense. Even when Dyerhauer was the head coach, they were competitive on defense. And because th- Woody
0: was the defensive coordinator. Because
1: Woody was a defensive coordinator. And I think of Derek Mason's two bowl years. Okay, they were good on defense. They were one of the best uh, defensive teams for a couple years there in the SEC. So that's how I think of it. But really, if you look back at their coaches, Dyerhauer was an offensive guy. James Franklin was an offensive guy. Uh, Watson Brown was an offensive oh, guy. All the way. So it's – and I'm trying to go back even further than that. I mean, you, you were, they were offensively based. They really slung it around a lot in the early 80s, a Hall of Fame Bowl team. Woody and Derek Mason are actually uh, exceptions, I think. They're the defensive coaches, but there's been more offensive head coaches at Vandy over the past few decades, right?
0: Well, you know, and you said and, – and I think you touched on the correct thing when you say – Vanderbilt can be competitive if it has a good defense, and that's the truth. The other train of thought is if Vanderbilt has a quirky offense, it can be successful. People have clamored for Vanderbilt to run the option like Georgia Tech has and uh, uh, some other smaller schools, some of the military academies in order to, you know, the the size disadvantage and the athleticism uh, that they lack. Uh, or to do what Watson Brown did, which was just to throw the ball all over the field. And this was before the West Coast offense or the running gun. Any of those had come along. Watson was way ahead of his time when, as uh, offense coordinator and head coach when he was throwing little dink passes, you know, 40 and 50 times a game. So – you got to be one, unique. Then yeah, on that's, the other side that's of that. one of the thing you got to have a, a unique offense that other teams don't see every week. So that's the one train of thought. The other train of thought is to have a good defense, and I think that's the more solid. The more I think that's going to be the more you're,
1: constant there. Yeah, you got to be more.
0: Con- yeah, you can control your defense. You can not throw in the ball all over the field. That can eventually be stopped. But when you got a good defense, it's it's tough for anybody to to, to stop you and uh, or to overcome that. And, and Vanderbilt proved that under. Uh, Several years with Woody, and as you said, Mason had had a good defense up until the last year lately.
1: When, When Mason's defenses were good, they were very sound, very smart. They mixed blitzes really well. And of what I remember, again, as a teenager then, you cover the
0: team, Woody Woodenhofer could could blitz. I mean, he was aggressive. I was going to say, Woody was not like you're saying. Woody wasn't so – they were sound. They had a good base defense, but they were wild. I mean, they they just kind of – it was, you know, no holes barred and blitzed. Throughout the game, at any time, I mean, you just never knew. First down, third down, they 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 blitzed whenever they wanted to blitz, and they blitzed often. And they left their uh, secondary on an island. Uh, they they left guys back there in the back, like Rock Batten, who's now the coach at Innsworth, uh Corey Chavis, great uh, corner who went on to play several many years in the NFL. They left them out there to fend for themselves, and and went after the quarterbacks. And uh, uh, it was it, it was called Woody Ball, you know have fun and win and uh, they had definitely had fun with that defense
1: well now woody did not have as you mentioned he had the he had one chance uh what five and six one year nearly got to a bowl how close were they
0: to that bowl they were very close uh 99 I think was the year. I think so yeah and uh, Rodney Williams a really tough running back really good running back hard nose uh, was carrying the ball they were on about the 22 or 23 yard line going in. Against Kentucky? Against Kentucky and he fumbled the ball and that would have been their first to last game they always end the season with Tennessee so that was the next to last game and I want to say they got beat 23 to 21 or it was a, a two or three point game and that cost them. They would have that would have been their sixth win they would have finished the season against UT and, and likely have lost like they did lose, and, but they would have finished with six wins and would have snapped the uh, long uh, stretch of not going to a bowl.
1: You know, it's uh, again, let me make a comparison here to, uh, to Mason and Woody. I thought this was interesting and in looking back at the numbers. We're talking about really good defensive teams at Vanderbilt, and I went back about 35 years, so early 80s. There's been four teams in the past 35 years at Vanderbilt that gave up 21 points or less. Four teams and four different head coaches. You had in uh, you had Woody in uh, 97, 1997, uh, You had Bobby Johnson. You had a James Franklin team, and then you had Derek Mason. What I find it interesting is that Bobby Johnson's team and James Franklin's team that were the best defensive teams of those two tenures. They were nine and four, and they were seven and six. They were very good teams, and the the record showed they won with defense. But the record showed that they won. Uh, with defense. The two years, Woody and Derek, their best two defensive years, they finished 3-8 and eight and 4-8. and eight. Those were not their best teams. Their best defensive teams were not their best overall teams. And that begs the question, was Woody Woodenhofer more valuable as a defensive coordinator than a head coach? Because his best defense wasn't even his best team. And Derek Mason, the same. His best defense was not his best team. Are they better coordinators than head coaches? Or at Vandy, you just kind of have to take... A guy that's really good on one side of the ball and hope it hope it
0: develops. Oh, far and away, no doubt about it. I mean, especially with Woody, you would know more with Derek. But with Woody, when Woody got the job, I remember sitting down with him and doing a very large, comprehensive piece on him, and we got in a lot of questions. And I said, "Give me your, tell me what your weaknesses are." And off the top of his head, he said, uh, organizational skills. He said, you know, I'm not very organized. (laughs) And I just, you know, I I wrote it and, you know, threw it into the story. And, boy, I tell you what, I saw it come to fruition throughout his head coaching career. He was not organized, and it, it, it was hard for him to succeed as a head coach without organizational skills. So, like I said, when he first told me about it, I just didn't think too much about it, but I saw it come to pass. As a defensive coordinator, That wasn't nearly as important, you know, making time for speaking engagements and all the extracurricular duties that come with being a head coach didn't matter as a defensive coordinator, and he could just focus on coaching defense, and he was one of the best at that that there's ever been in football probably. And, uh, yeah, he – you know, obviously he wanted to be a head coach and he got his opportunity here and he also got his opportunity at Missouri and it didn't work either place. And I think it was because he was a defensive coach and needed to be coaching defense exclusively.
1: Yeah, I think think some defensive coaches get a little bit of a raw deal, defensive head coaches, because when their teams don't perform particularly well – you like, well, that guy didn't even know offense. That's why he just knows how to coach defense. You don't see that criticism, I think, as much on the offensive side. Yeah, Steve. Now we're talking about good teams here, but Steve Spurrier's fun and gun offense. Steve Spurrier didn't care what was going on the defensive bo- the side of the ball. Gus Malzana's is an offensive guy. He, he's. But you don't think of those guys don't get criticized of. You know, they don't even know anything about defense. It's just they run the offense, they score points, and you hire somebody to. to to run the defense, it sometimes doesn't work in the opposite way. Now, I guess you could say Nick Saban is a defensive guy, but he's not even really calling his own defense a lot of the times. I just think defensive guys get a, a little bit of a raw deal there. That you can't be a head coach; you can be a good defensive coordinator. You can't be a head coach. That's for offensive guys. Um, but people say you win with defense. I don't. I don't really know why that would be the case.
0: Yeah, I agree. And and I don't. You know. Woody had said when he got here, uh, you know, I'll find somebody to run the offense. You know, I'm not worried about that at all. And maybe that's part of it. These defensive guys have this such strong fraternity that all their friends are defensive guys. Yeah. And when it comes time, when the rubber meets the road and they got to find somebody to run the offense, one, they don't have that big of a network, and two – Somebody might not be so excited to come run your offense, knowing that you are going to put so much emphasis on your the other side of the ball.
1: Right, and, and the two sides are so complementary, and I think that's something that fans and sometimes even sports writers don't understand that your defense and offense have to have to complement one another to some extent. And if a defensive coach comes in and just says, "Yeah, I'll just get somebody to run the offense," well, hold on, what offense? What's your philosophy? How is he going to work with you on the other side of the ball? How does that work into the game plan? It can't be just you guys go do that over there and well, I'll do my thing over here. Yeah. Um, you know, I even think back to uh, you know, the Houston Oilers before they were the Titans back in the early 90s when they had the, uh, I don't know if you remember the Buddy Ryan and Kevin Gilbride, the two quarter – when they had Kev, uh, Buddy Ryan punched Kevin Gilbride yes, on, on the yes. sideline, Monday night football game, I think. A lot of that, and there was a 30 for 30 on ESPN about this a lot of that was over those two sides not matching up. You had a run-and-shoot offense, and then you had just a
0: staunch lockdown defense, and they didn't mesh well. No, the defense comes over for a rest, and there is no rest uh, right. because they're right back on the field because it's either three and out or a touchdown. Right. You know, just, why are you, you know,
1: giving up so many points where our offense is terrible? That's yeah. why you know our offense needs to score some points or score them slower. So I just wonder sometimes, I think – you know. Derek, and we'll get into that in a little bit, I think Derek has some issues with trying to figure out what his offensive identity is, and that's starting to starting to change as we speak. Let's take a quick break. After the break, we've talked about the past with Woody Woodenhofer. We're going to talk about the present and the very near future, and whether or not Vanderbilt and the SEC is going to play football this season because of the coronavirus pandemic. We'll talk about that right after a short break. Hey guys, it's Adam Sparks. As a Tennessean podcast listener, we have a special offer just for you. Unlimited digital access to our award-winning coverage for just $1 a week. That's a whole year of the most important sports stories with over 50% in savings. To sign up, go to Tennessean.com forward slash podcast. And as always, thanks for listening. All right, Mike, we're uh, back now. I want to jump into the present and the near future, but something I, I forgot that you mentioned on Woody Woodenhofer spot. There are some connections with Kevin Gilbride, right? There
0: was. Uh, before uh, Woody was hired, I remember talking to interviewing Kevin Gilbride, who had interviewed for the Vanderbilt job. He was uh, one of many people who have interviewed for the Vanderbilt head coaching vacancy, and you'd mentioned Kevin Gilbride earlier, his days with uh, Buddy Ryan. So that was a little tidbit. Another one, and speaking of offense and defense, was uh, Jay Cutler? Woody actually signed Jay Cutler, and uh, out of Santa Claus, Indiana, uh, redshirted him. And about midway through that season, the season's going horribly. Woody pulled me aside one day and he said, "Hey, I'm going to put Cutler in at i uh, I'm going to play him. I'm going to put him at free safety." And Greg Zolman was the veteran quarterback and running the offense, so he, you know, he was going to finish out his. Time as a quarterback so Woody tell me he said we ha- at Vanderbilt we have to have our best 22 football players on the field we can't have them standing on the sideline and I'm going to put Cutler in at uh safety at free safety and Jay Cutler free safety Jay Cutler free weird. safety yes and he was he was going to do it and uh Steve Crosby the offensive coordinator I, I went to Crosby and I said hey what do you think about you know Cutler going to Go ahead and start playing the season, and Crosby literally went to his uh, to Woody on his knees and pleaded with him, "Do not do this to me, please. I'm just trying to get through this season, and then you know start making some strides forward on offense next year with Cutler as a quarterback." And Woody was such a good guy that you know he was able to talk him out of it. And uh, he wasn't like a lot of coaches with such huge egos that you know I'm going to do things my way. So he 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 subsided. He you know backed off and and did not move Cutler to to the secondary for that one season. Because had he moved over there. Cutler was such a good athlete, I don't think he'd ever Moved back, I think that he would, have, he would have Made his mark over there and would have stayed there
1: Yeah, it was good for Woody, it was good for Vanderbilt Football history, and it was good for Jay Cutler, Jay Cutler. That he was, Remained on offense and he was not Jay Cutler free safety, I don't think he had an NFL Career as a as
0: a free set. I don't think he would uh, be married to Kristen Cavallari today and be on a <laughs> so reality much, show. So much would have gone wrong. Woody, Woody backing off really changed the, our the social or pop culture uh, by what he did there.
1: So Jay Cutler was uh, Vanderbilt's, uh, when he graduated, he was Vanderbilt's all time leading passer. He begat Kyle Shermer a number of years later, who then broke his record, became Vanderbilt's all-time leading passer. And that's been the only, the three and a half years that Cal Shermer started for Derek Mason is the only offensive success they've had and the only steady quarterback they've had under Derek Mason. They've got to figure out how to how to run a new offense and a new defense and figure out who their new quarterback is. They're trying to do that in the spring. They're going to try to do that in the season. If we have a season, that's a big question. Are we going to have a 2020 college football season that was asked to sec commissioner greg sankey on the teleconference a few days ago and this was greg sankey's answer oh, that's my focus i'm i, I i'm a half full prospective person so i have optimism uh we have we have taken measures uh as have our colleague conferences at this time uh, I think that if I if I read those health leaders, they say we're going to have a period of time to see what happens with uh, the growth of these cases, and we'll make decisions down the road. Okay, so I like how he put that. I'm a I'm a half full perspective person. He's he's optimistic, even in the tone of Greg Sankey's voice. Though he's saying optimism, I don't hear optimism in the tone. <laughs> I mean, so let's work. This is complete speculation because we don't, as we record this podcast, there has not been a decision made on the 2020 season or in preseason camp. Number one, do you think spring practice is going to resume?
0: I do not. No, I, that, not. That, I, I think there's about a ninety percent chance that the, that's one thing that's going to go by the wayside.
1: Yeah, but I mean, there's no school right now. There's so many other things. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't see spring happening. Okay, so next question: SEC Media Days, as of right now, is still scheduled to go on in Atlanta in mid July. Mm-hmm. I
0: don't think they'll have it. I don't think they'll have it because I don't think – I think you'd have to move it back, and I don't think you can move it back because I believe, personally, that they're going to have to move the season, the uh, preparation for the season up a little bit.
1: What yeah, do you and – and, and, and Well, and also, I mean, let's let's get real. I mean – SEC Media Day is an enormous event for SEC fans, but you and I both know—we'll whisper on the podcast here. We both know you don't have to be in person.
0: Oh, it's to that, ask questions. That's very, very old school, is what that—that that was something out of the seventies and the eighties. Co- uh, coach, coach, talk about coach, your
1: uh, <laughs> talk, talk about your running back rotation. Oh, it it could be done online, right?
0: We used to have to go to those things and Jackie Sherrill would get up and he would go through his three deep chart. Oh, oh, it was just monotonous. And I mean, but he didn't know what else to do. And uh, I mean, I do not envy you guys that still have to go down there and subject yourself to something even remotely like that. Because we and and you know we used to do special sections. They mm-hmm. were very common back in those days. You know, you're doing ten, twenty, thirty page sections. You needed something to fill those up. And uh, SEC media days or any conference media day was vital for that. We don't do those anymore, and for the most part,
1: well, if they don't have it, we'll miss out on Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin, the the two biggest characters in, in SEC football now, both new coaches at uh, at the Egg Bowl schools, Mississippi State and Ole Miss. But we'll see. Maybe they pull that off. I do think that's an easy enough event that you don't have to have it in person. If you Can want it to be, be
0: condensed,
1: it, it could be condensed. But then you run into well, if you're still going to have people in person, why can't you have the whole thing? What are you gonna are you gonna have a greater chance of exposure yeah. or a lesser chance of exposure if you squeeze it into two days instead of four or five days? I, I tend to think they'll probably. Do it online, conference calls, that sort of thing. Uh, video, uh, do it on video. SEC Network runs the thing anyway, so maybe we'll see. That's still a long ways away. That's mid June. So the the next question is: Do they have uh, do they have preseason practice as is, and do they have the season as scheduled? I tend to think we're going to have games as scheduled. I think that's an enormous thing to move. That's all the way to late August, September. I think they'll play the season as is. You. you you as optimistic as I am?
0: Yeah, I, I. mean, you know, when they when they call off the NCAA basketball tournament, they you you never say nothing, never to anything, because anything obviously can be canceled. when sure. they cancel that. But that said, I think the next huge thing that would be very difficult to uh, call off or or even alter would be college football season or NFL uh, all as well. But, yeah, I think that'll be – and, again, as you just said, it's it's late August. I mean, hopefully by June, uh, mid-June, we'll start, you know, getting back to some sense of normalcy. So at this point – I think it's safe to say that we'll probably have a college football season as it stands and I don't even think with any kind of alterations yeah. other than the preseason.
1: One thing that you have at least is you have the summer as a buffer between cuz cuz right now we've been talking about everything of well college basketball NCAA tournament starting in like 3 days so we got to cancel that and then college baseball is already going we got to cancel that and World Series well we can wait to decide. We can get into deep into the summer I think before that's decided Uh, preseason camp usually that starts about august 1st around there depending on when your season opener is i tend to think they may if if they can and if we're cleared from the pandemic and social distancing and all that to some extent i could see them since we're probably going to miss spring practice maybe add on a week on the front end maybe late july have practices if so i think it would be probably indoors if you could do it it would just be in shorts it would be an opportunity basically to get guys in shape a little better, to install offense and defense a little more, and to just do some X's and O's and basic fundamental. The acclimation period is what they call it the first few days. I think it would just be an extended acclimation period uh, before you get into camp. That's if, if all these, you know, all these rules and guidelines of coronavirus are dropped by then. Speaking of that, Vandy really, really, really needs some practice time. When spring practice was halted by a coronavirus pandemic, they have, I think, for four practices in, installing a new offense, a new defense, trying to figure out a new quarterback. They could be in a pickle because when they get back, whenever that is, it's going to have to be, well, do we put in all the new stuff that we were going to put in or do you just put in a little bit because we have limited practice time? And you're trying to figure out your quarterback between four all new guys. Do you have to whittle that down within a week and then install things Everything is going to be so condensed and so rushed and Derek Mason is going to have to make some decisions right off the bat of how much he can change and how
0: much he can keep that's that's you know you and I were on the phone yesterday uh, talking kind of about this, and that's what my question for you is. How much can he keep? I mean, the simple thing would be to say, "Hey, look, with let's call off all these changes we had scheduled for the spring, and let's just stick to what we're doing this season, and then maybe we'll make changes next season." That's not an option for them, really, is it? No, and because I mean, of the personnel,
1: yeah, and uh, because the personnel, they they have six of their ten coaches, assistant coaches are all new, both coordinators are new, so they're going to install something new anyway. I, I would, I think, Derek Mason needs to be cautious about and not saying he's going to do this, but cautious about saying, let's just kind of take what we did last year and have the coordinator kind of adjust to that. Uh, you know, we'll run kind of what we did last year, and in the offseason we'll figure it out. I don't think he can do that because a year ago he kept Jerry Godowski, promoted him from within to the offensive coordinator, he was a position coach, and just said, continuity's sake, let's, have the, let's just have everything kind of the same so the players don't have to learn a whole lot of new things. That was an enormous mistake in retrospect, it would be a mistake this time. You're probably just going to have to rip the Band-Aid off and say, guys, we may really, really struggle in the first half of the season. Mm-hmm. We may not know who our quarterback is in the first half of the season, but let's just go with it and try to change as we go and figure out our quarterback as we go. If practice is condensed, and I think it will be, that's probably what you're, what you're going to run into.
0: Which begs the question – does he make it into the second half of the season, no. considering <laughs> what happens with the athletic director's the, position?
1: Yeah, the, the, and they, yeah, that's a, uh, it's easy for me to say I'm not a head coach <laughs> on the hot seat. That, oh, just just give it time, Derek. You know, <laughs> So a whole lot of changes, a whole lot of things changing as the, the days and weeks go by, but we'll see. Still a long time to football, but it will. it's getting closer. I'm fine with it
0: getting closer as long as this pandemic has passed. Yeah, I agree. Well, that does it for another edition of Breaking Down the Doors. We hope you'll subscribe to Tennesseen.com if you haven't already. And remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And drop us a review and a rating while you're at it. For Adam Sparks, I'm Mike Organ.